Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, This is the Successful Life Podcast, your favorite home services podcast. Hi, I'm Corey Barrier, number one best-selling author of Nine Simple Steps to Sell More Shit. I'm here to help you open more doors, close more deals, and rock your revenue in your home services company. I coach home service businesses using my proven process that helps you, the owner, make more money with less frustration. You can go to HVACCloingSales.com for more information, or you can text me directly at 919-896-9999. Please scroll down to the rate and review section, click on the Successful Life podcast icon, and give us a review. Today's episode is going to be a banger with my man, John Jordan, from Comfort Monster. We discuss how John has created a software that I believe is going to change the home services industry forever. Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I am here with my man, John Jordan. What's up, John? Hey, Corey. How's it going? Good, man. Good to see you. So, John is going to bring some pretty cool information to us today. And I tell you, I'm, I've am i been really excited about this. And I would wish we could have done this earlier, but things happen and here we are. But so John owns a couple of companies. Comfort Monster is the one that we have had the most conversations about. And you've got locations here in Raleigh and then in Charlotte, which is an HVAC company. Um, and then Atlantic BT, which is where you started, right? Yep, absolutely. So tell us about tell us a little bit about that journey, John, if you don't mind. It's definitely a long journey. I'll try to keep it relatively short. But I was in I was in college, and first idea I had was essentially a way to send prescriptions from the doctor's office directly to the drugstore. Came up with this idea where you put a kiosk, a mini ATM, in the doctor's office. So back this is way back in '98, you'd write a handwritten prescription, you'd have it. And at that point, you'd have to go wait at the pharmacy. This system actually allowed you to, in the waiting room, choose a pharmacy, stick in your prescription, it would scan it and send it across town. So when you drove over there, it was already filled. That was pretty unique at at the time. We were working with all the major pharmacies, including Walmart and some of these big guys to build that system out. So that's that's where my technology background started. And then we morphed into providing more custom solutions. And we've continued to work with publicly traded companies, everything from governments to publicly traded companies to build technology solutions. So that's that was my first company and I still own that that company. And at some point it got to where there was other managers that were more wanted to have more responsibility. And I just stepped back and said, hey, if you want to do that, that's great. I'll take some time and then relax a little bit. And I did that. It took a couple of years. I uh, spent a lot of time in Turks and Caicos and doing other things that 
weren't terribly productive. And then at a certain point, I really had the, I just woke up. I was like, you know what? You're wasting your talents and, and your time. And uh, I felt like I needed to do something else. And so I looked around and a lot of people said, why don't you get into doing something, some kind of software? And I said, I really, I've always grown up working on things and, and the technology business is very intangible. You build things, but they're all nothing you can really touch. And I wanted to see my trucks driving around town and I wanted to, I just wanted something that was a little more tangible. So looked at a number of different businesses and came up with the HVAC business as being one that people practices that I'd learned working in the technology and uh, the space where you really are competing highly for talent all the time. And also how to apply technology and create efficiencies. I believe that HVAC was a prime opportunity to, uh, to leverage those things that I had experience in. I did not realize that I, so I, of course I knew about the software company, but I don't know that I've ever asked you too many questions about it. And I really didn't know that the prescription, I had no idea that was part, that was something that you had a part of. I, I just didn't know that. That's fascinating, which makes this next conversation even more fascinating because yeah, you knew nothing about HVAC, but you looked at this, as you just said, you looked at this as an opportunity to implement some sort of a software into an industry maybe that is lacking. Is that kind of what you were saying there? Yeah. Essentially what I, the common knowledge is one of the things I read at the time was you should never enter a business that's essentially saturated or highly competitive unless you can, I think it was something like, unless you can find some way, something that's 15, there's a 15% differentiator, some sort of an X factor that can create a 15% differentiator. And I said, I don't think I can come up with one thing that's 15% but I believe I can do 15 things that are 1%. And so I identified things like the brand. And if you're familiar with our brand, it's very unique. A lot of HVAC and service companies are starting to come up with much more personable, unique brands, but we were early in that process. Let's just say that. And so that was a differentiator and things like having our number being 919 monster, something memorable and friendly was unique where most people at that time were Joe's HVAC and the number could be as complicated as possible. 919 seven, three, five, one, eight, six, two, or something. You're like, <laughs> that's going to be hard to remember. So, Well, John, in, I, want, I just got, we got to, I, I have to highlight for a moment about your brand because in a couple of things, one, our friend, our mutual friend, Dan Antonelli did your brand at kick charge. Absolutely. Uh, and so it, Dan does unique brands. And I think your brand stands out amongst anybody in this city because it's bright. It's, Probably not the most attractive thing necessarily that you would think of, but what it does is it makes you look at it. It doesn't matter if it's attractive, but what it what matters is that the eyeballs stay on that van, and it does. And you've captured a significant audience, I believe, with that. Now, the next thing I want you to tell, and I hadn't actually planned to ask you this, but I'm really glad that I remembered. The reason that you and I started talking and you and I had, I don't know, lunch or dinner about a year and a half ago. And you told me a story about, about a little girl or about kids that you, the story about the kids on the side of the road. I want yeah. you to tell that story because it's unique in that it's a brand opportunity. Not that you used it as a brand opportunity because that wasn't the intention. Right. The intention was to do something out of the goodness of your heart. But I would like for you to share that story because the result was pretty cool. Yeah. So I'm going to try to, there's so many different things I could say here. I'm going to try to keep it somewhat concise. I think that the brand, of course, you are the expert on selling and, and how that happens and what the best way to, to do that is. But one of my core beliefs is that you can't have a sale without having trust. And one of the things that is important about our brand is 
it's a it's somewhat of a personification of trust. Our monster. I was laughing a little bit when you said the the, you know, the brand wasn't attractive. Our monster. We consider him. We talk about him as he's you know, as an actual personified thing. His name's Comfy, and the Comfy doesn't like any sort of criticism like that. No, he thinks he's very attractive. In fact, he thinks he's a model. And on our page, I meet Comfy, and he he's modeling with his hand up behind his behind his head because he's so attractive, and he takes special care of his fur and all this kind of stuff. But the point of all that is to be to be friendly. When you're friendly and open and self-deprecating, that's a bridge to, to building trust. And of course, trust is what's necessary when you're in people's homes and helping them to fix problems and sometimes explaining complex issues and or asking them for one gigantic amount of money to either fix or replace certain things. I think all of those things are wrapped into the brand and a, a friendly, trustworthy, mascot is a big part of, of a memorable brand, but also a brand that engenders the trust to the audience you're trying to reach. This episode of the Successful Life Podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, House Call Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. And you use, and by the way, when I said it wasn't attractive, that was completely a misrepresentation because clearly it's attractive to people look at it, right? Well, it's too late now. He's probably listening and you probably are not his favorite. <laughs> That's uh, probably correct. Host at this point, but I'll try to straighten it out with him later. But you, but John, you used a piece of your brand to comfort. I remember you telling me a story, but you oh, said- yeah. okay, so that's right. You did ask that, but I didn't. I never answered your question. So that's all right. Um, yeah. So here's what happened. I was driving in a neighborhood, and we always carry the. I didn't mention this either. We carry little stuff, monsters, little stuff, comfies, and it says on the tag, it says, "Hi, my name is Comfy," and it has the website and all that. It doesn't say much about HVAC, but it just says thecomfortmonster.com. Anyway, so I'm driving in the neighborhood and. It had just rained and a guy and his two kids were splashing through the, uh, through the puddles or whatever. And, and I was in an unmarked truck, a pickup truck, but didn't have our logo on. I drove past them and I went up the street and then I stopped and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to go back and talk to this guy. I, was, I had to think about it. I was like, is this going to be like super creepy or so I back up and I rolled down the window and I said, to the guy, I said, Hey, I said, I just had to come back. I said, you guys just look like you were having so much fun splashing around the puddle. And I've got this, this little monster here. I said, it would be okay if I give it to your, to your kids. And uh, he said, Oh, absolutely. And we chatted for a minute or two and gave him the monster. And then I drove off. And before essentially I even got back to the office, we had a review and uh, the guy said something along the lines of, I've never used this company. I didn't know of them until today, but the, one of their employees took the time to stop and do this. And if they employ people like that, then they're going to be our HVAC company from now on. And uh, so we, we encourage that from all of our people and they do they, again it's a, in this day and age you got to be a little bit careful when you're driving a van and giving away toys or whatever yeah, toys. but again the brand is very friendly and they don't they do it in a careful way but they definitely if they see somebody who might enjoy comfy or whatever they've got dozens of them on their trucks and they're encouraged to pass them out whether they're customers or not that's one way that we share goodwill and share our spread our brand without asking people for for business we're just saying hey we're here's who we are and here's our here's a, a comfy mascot and enjoy the thing 
it's kind of, it's the law of reciprocity. And I'm not saying that you do it intentionally for that, because I, I believe your intention is completely pure with this. But the law of reciprocity, that's, this is when it, it kicks in, right? Because you give... Uh, Right. You give the kid the toy and the family is now they're a fan and they're going to use your company. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. We, yeah, you don't reciprocity shouldn't be used as a tool, but it's still, but it's still a thing when you give something for the right reasons and you don't expect anything back, then maybe you do get something back. That's, that's reciprocity as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, you don't, it's not mercenary. It's not the law of mercenary reciprocity. It's just reciprocity. Do something good and you get something back, maybe. Yeah, because if you do it with the intention of getting something back, most likely you're not going to get it back anyway. Exactly. All right. So I want to dive into what you've been working on because this is this is what I've been super excited for you to talk about. Because first, before you talk about that, I want you to talk about how we got to this conversation, how you started thinking about how you started the software that you're going to tell us about. Yeah, it's been a long process. And I, when I first started the business, I definitely intended, this was almost six years ago and things have evolved since then, but the journey I was on, I said, all right, I don't, I've looked around. I don't think that I'm going to be able to do what I want to do uniquely in the business. I think the other part of this is if you, if your listeners haven't read or been exposed to Purple Cow, Seth Godin, I think the, the official name of the book is Purple Cow, Transform Your Business by Being Remarkable. Anyway, the idea is I knew I wanted to build a remarkable business. And I didn't think I could do it with unremarkable software and having a technology background. I guess I wanted to build something anyway. So started out, spent a lot of money, even though we were a technology business, we still got to spend money and spent a lot of money developing something that became overwhelming just in terms of how much further we had to go with it from the ground up. And I was like, look, this is the business is starting to get expensive. The growth capital is starting to be expensive. And then the development on top of that is, is starting to get ridiculous. And, and so I started looking around and that's when Service Titan was really raising a bunch of money. And, and there was a lot of press around them. And I said, you know what, they're going to have an open API and whether your listeners are familiar with that, but essentially the ability to connect into their database and, and do some custom things, pull data out, push data in, do things. And I said, you know what, we can take this core system, we can customize outside of it. And then we don't have to spend all the money on the core platform and we can focus on the things that make us unique and this will be a better strategy. So we so don't. So I'm clear, John. So you're basically at this point, you're thinking of, I'm going to build something on top of service, right? And that's what you're saying, right? Correct. Yeah, correct. Okay. So we dumped, I don't know, a million and a half dollars of development we'd already spent. We said, all right, forget that. We're going to use the service Titan. And so we, we did that. And I just don't think there, it's, it hasn't worked out exactly the way I had intended because we haven't been able to customize it. The core interface is still the core interface and anything we do is hanging off of it, which means people are still using multiple systems and that hasn't, doesn't fit exactly the way it doesn't allow us to innovate the way we want to and so forth. And there's been some other frustrations I've had with, with their technology. I'd be happy to share those things as well, but yeah, you know, I'm curious actually. Yeah. What are some of the things that you've experienced? My biggest frustration is I believe that HVAC, especially home services in general, but HVAC especially is a needs to be a data-driven business. If you went to a major retailer, L Brands, which is Victoria's Secret, all that stuff, or Walmart or any of these guys, they don't do anything without analyzing data. Their retail data is everything because there's so many customers, so many transactions. They can learn so much and customize their decision-making process entirely around that data. HVAC business, that's one of the things I love about it. You don't have my technology business. We got, you know, dozens of, of customers, but there are dozens of customers and the relationships exist for years and all this kind of stuff. 
you can't pull a lot of data out of those, just the you know, basic customer engagement. But when you're an HVAC company, you've got 10,000 customers, you can start to make smart decisions about what solutions you present based on what's parked in the driveway, because there's so much data that can help drive those decisions. And everything, our concept is you can take somebody who's a good technician and make them great with data, take somebody who's great and make them excellent. Same with sales, take somebody who's, who's mediocre and make them good because you can make, you can drive when they hit quote, if it already interprets all the data that it has to interpret and makes those types of decisions, you can do some pretty cool things. My biggest complaint about service Titan is that just the core, anytime I ask, and I've been very open about this, maybe we didn't implement it properly, but anytime I ask a question about that has a data component to it, every time I get back an answer, and I've got smart people that are running these things and pulling, pulling more data out and doing more stuff to it than I think anybody else is. And they're always like, I don't know if this is really accurate, but it should be. <laughs> and it drives me crazy. I'm like, what, what do you mean? If the technician did this instead of this, then this isn't going to be this way. And the data doesn't end up in a normal structure, which means we can't, it, it makes it difficult for us to work with it. And well, that's the point of data, right? Is to have structure, to know exactly where the checks and balances are, to know exactly what to do next. Without that data in the right order, I, it sounds useless to me. Right. Yeah. That's, and again, I, it, that's my, been my frustration is that I'll, and then I'll be given data and I'll make decisions off of it. And then it turns out that maybe that data wasn't so accurate to begin with. And again, I will take full responsibility that perhaps we haven't implemented it to the letter the way that other companies have. I, I know there's a lot of people that use it, but that's my number one complaint. Then there's in synchronization in, in, in software, in technology, we say, if it sinks, it stinks. So the concept, the core concept behind Service Titan is you're syncing between the, the Service Titan platform and your accounting platform. Service Titan isn't an accounting platform. It syncs with QuickBooks. It syncs with Sage, I believe, maybe another one at this point, but anytime, so you're having to batch your invoices and other things out of Service Titan into your accounting system. Now, if you have a change after the fact, somebody, you have to do a refund or whatever happens. Now you're out of sync and you've got to rebatch and resync. And it's just, it's, again, you're always, you're dealing with two different data sets and that's a problem. You Even mentioned for, six different, didn't you mention, and I think when you said the example you just gave, I think you were saying a moment ago, like there were, there's multiple of those that you have to use plugins, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Just as far as accounting goes, I think they, they support QuickBooks and Sage, but again, those are batched processes as far as, but there's tons of modules. I mean, it's one of the things they have developed a marketplace and there are people that, that develop quoting systems and booking systems and other things that, you know, that, that connect with service Titans architecture over those APIs. That's how that works. But it's less functional than I think what you're about to say. Yeah. It's better pulling and pushing data out is better than a closed system, but a, a full, a system that's all integrated on the same back plane is better. And when we went out and we didn't want to develop something from the ground up, that's what we started doing to, to, to begin with. And that has its own challenges in terms of scale and also time to market and other stuff like that. So we looked at an ERP system and ERP is sort of for enterprise resource planning, which doesn't really mean anything to anybody really. It should, it shouldn't even mean anything to, I can't believe I still call it that, but the concept is it's a, it's an everything, the big companies, 50,000 people, whatever they've run on ERP systems for years. And the concept is that's their back plane. 
and it does everything from accounting to help desk to field service. It's even got a lunch order module. So if you're going to have a meeting, everybody can put their lunch orders in there and then you can send that out to, to whoever you're going to order from or whatever. So the concept is it's all on one backplane and you build modules that do that do things. And there's a difference between a module that lives on the backplane and one that lives outside of the system. Service Titan, you got the Service Titan software. When you log into Service Titan, all you're ever going to see is Service Titan, but you could have a quoting system. I'm trying to think of one of the ones that integrates. With, Company cam, maybe. Yeah, something, something like that. Yeah, so it can have where it can share data, but it's still a separate browser window and it's not, doesn't live inside of Service Titan. Module and something that's an add-on in the marketplace are different things. And I use the concept, uh, the term backplane. It's not really a technical term, but the idea is essentially it's actual software that's installed into the core software system versus something that lives outside and just exchanges data. But for the listeners, it sounds like that's probably, there's a greater chance of having miscommunication in a system like that, right? Because you've got multiple parts moving. Correct. Yeah. If it relies on, I don't want to get too technical because it just doesn't, <laughs> but we call it a system of record. Anytime you have a, you have data, you want to have a clear system of record and you really can't answer the question, what's your system of record for account for, for an invoice? Is it QuickBooks or is it Service Titan? At a certain point, the system of record is Service Titan because that's the only place the invoice exists. After it gets batched and sent over to QuickBooks, then QuickBooks becomes a system of record. But your customer care people are not working inside QuickBooks. So now if you want to send a copy of that invoice, even if it's been credited in QuickBooks somehow because you wrote it off or something, it still exists in Service Titan. So just the concept, it's not that there's that they've done anything wrong. It's just if it sinks, it stinks because there's... Once you have two copies of an invoice, and that's exactly what happens. You batch those invoices, you send them out to, to QuickBooks, and now you've got two copies of them. So which one do you operate on? And when you make a change in QuickBooks, it's not coming back to, to Service Titan. It's only a one-way It's a one -way batch process that has drawbacks. Certainly, they've got best practices for how to work around that, which is essentially that, that if you make those changes, you need to make them in Service Titan, and then you rebatch them out to the finance system. But And the same thing with employee time records. Okay, you get time records in Service Titan, but you're actually paying your payroll in QuickBooks. So... You're having to, that data has got to be shared and stuff. Whereas one of the things that, that drives me bonkers is that I can't get real accurate financials. Again, maybe an internal issue, but we delayed significantly from the end of the month waiting for the, we call it the tail, the paper tail to come back. You have POs with a, a vendor and they deliver the product, but then they don't invoice. And so if you don't, if you don't get the paper right in, in service Titan, until you receive the invoice in QuickBooks, you don't technically have, you know, you've got a PO, but you don't technically have an expense on your books. And so it takes us a long time to have an officially closed month because we're waiting for that paper tail to, to come back. I want to know, my goal is to make it like a restaurant, which every night we close the restaurant. I want to know, did we make money today or did we lose money today? Because if we made money today, then let's do it again tomorrow. If we didn't, then let's figure out why we didn't. And let's not do it again tomorrow. If I've got to wait a month and a half before I see a month of financials, and then I've got to try to dig through that to figure out what the heck went wrong with our margin that we slipped 6% in our materials this month. I've already, the train's already down the tracks a month and a half. I'm going to lose three months from the day I could have made a correction to the time that I'm even informed enough to start to dig into it. I'm, the aggregate time is, is potentially... I don't know, maybe it's not quite three months, but from if it's day one of June 
and I don't get my financials until July. So one month, and then really I'm looking at nearly the end of July to get my accurate numbers from June. And then I got to start making actions on that. So maybe I'm two months plus or in the neighborhood of two months before I can make an action that of something that happened back in, back on June one. You can't run a business that way. You can get yourself in real trouble that way. That's for sure. Well, it's like an airplane, right? An airplane, if it gets off one degree, you're going nowhere near where you're supposed to be going. And that's what you're saying. You're mm-hmm. able to catch that degree every single, you're going to tell us about that, yeah. right? Yeah. You, so let's just dive into how you're solving all these problems that, that you've come across. Yeah. So, become- so it comes down to the concept of the ERP, which is if I create that if I create that PO, then, then I can act on that, that and that's integrated into my, into my financial. It's not, it hasn't become an invoice yet, but I can still treat it as if it is an invoice inside that, inside that system. But then I can pull everything together. We've built a, a daily PL report that's a budget and a PL all in one. And it starts with some of our top of the funnel metrics, things like how many service calls did I expect to get today? How many did I budget for today? And how many did I actually get? Because I want to be able to hold our sales team accountable. They say, if you make the phone ring, we'll make the bank sing. Right. So if I'm like, Hey, look, we said, we all did this budget together. We said that we were looking for 40 agnostic calls today. We delivered 43, 43 calls got booked and our, our service revenue is not where it should have been. I'll use your words. And I had a guy that was president of one of my companies a long time ago. And he would, anytime he was talking, you were talking to him, he was like writing something down like this. He write it down. And then later, Sure enough, that notebook would come out and he'd say, so now you make the phone ring, we'll make the bank sing. You said that, right? I didn't say that. And you're like, yeah, no, I said that. I said, we said we're going to get 43 service calls and you thought that was right and you did your budget based on that. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Then we made the phone ring, but you haven't made the bank sing. Is that correct? (laughs) It's just one of those accountability things. So starting at the top of our sort of P&L, it's not really a P&L, it's an amalgamation of stuff, but the very top is your top line funnel metrics where you're like, okay, we expected to get 43 diagnostics we call them svc1 internal code name but service one calls is a diagnostic then a service two is a major repair that stems from from that diagnostic then service three is a recall a service four is a warranty so you have your top line metrics of how many things you expected to book into all those categories and then you have your revenue numbers that come out of those categories and then you got your sales leads and then you got your actual sales and then all that funnels down into your sectional PLs. and this is on a daily basis your service one we expected to get of revenue and service one today, what did we actually get? Then we expected our labor costs to be this, and that's coming directly out of the ERP. So as they track time on that day, when they finish their day, we know what their general hourly rate is going to be. We know how many time, how many hours they track and and to which types of jobs they track them. So now I can look at my daily gross profit on just that service one. So obviously you think your service one diagnostics are going to be your most profitable calls. Am I hitting my 50? 55% 55% or whatever any of these metrics are for that gross profit inside the, uh, the service one are my service twos hitting their gross profit metrics. And, and then on, so then you go all the way down and then that gives you your gross profit. Then you've got your general administrative costs and your marketing and everything else. And then at the very bottom line, and those are somewhat, those aren't necessarily coming out of the ERP. If you're projecting them because it all lumpy, they don't all come in evenly, but you're projecting what your monthly GNA costs are going to be. And then at the very bottom line, you got your net, your net income, your projected net income for that day, but you shouldn't have to worry about the tail of the paper because everything's happening. I consider a residential HVAC to be a relatively retail business. You're not doing long running projects, your installs are 
ours, at least ours are essentially one day. Our service calls are, are hours, not days. Repairs are hours, not days. And so essentially we should be able to close the store every single day. And then I can look at that by 10 o'clock the next morning. I should be able to look at that and say, okay, did we make money yesterday? Did we lose money? And then look at the, did we lose it because we didn't get enough stuff at the top of the funnel? Did we lose it because we didn't make enough hay out of the stuff we had in the funnel? Did we overspend on parts? What did we do wrong or what did we do right? And if you can look at it every single day, then you can get to the destination that you want to get to a whole lot better than looking in the rearview mirror and being so pissed off. Man, if I would have just known I could have fixed this a month and a half ago, and it actually takes energy from you because if you see something that's wrong yesterday and you can change it today, that creates energy. When you're like, man, I found something recently. I'll be honest about it. We found that we were paying sales tax on service parts. And in North Carolina, we pay, you don't pay sales tax on, you pay sales tax on the replacement stuff because the customer doesn't pay it. It's considered a capital improvement. So we don't, so the customer doesn't pay it on replacing a system, which means we do pay it to the, to the vendor for the equipment, but on service, they do pay tax. So we don't pay tax on the, on the service parts. We've been paying tax on the service parts that we're buying from the vendors. And the fact that it took us a significant amount of time to see that in the numbers when that, when somebody made a change in the office to start doing that is a defeating sort of a process. You're like, oh my gosh, we just paid this six and a half, seven percent on all these parts for this amount of time. And, and it's taken so long to figure out that was what that was going on. That doesn't create energy to fix things. It actually is, it takes your energy because you're like, man, if I would have known about this right away. I could have fixed it and saved a lot of money. So and you anticipate uh, getting that energy every month because you're going to be behind every month. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So whereas one of the concepts, I don't know if you promote, you've talked about a lot on this show, but the Rockefeller habits was, is, was a really good approach to business. And then it, they, it turned into traction EOS or operating system. So Rockefeller became traction EOS. Anyway, one of the core concepts that came from Rockefeller that became traction EOS is a daily huddle. And if you've got actual broken down financials that you can use in your daily huddle and certainly your top of the line metrics and stuff like that. Then you say, okay, who's marketing guys. Let's talk about the top of the funnel. Okay. We, did we get enough diagnostics? Did we get enough sales opportunities? Did we do this? Do we do that? Yes. We're on, we're doing great. Blah, blah, blah. What's our cost of leads? You cover that. And then, okay, now operational guys, did we sell? How do we do on our average tickets? How do we do on actually turning that stuff into, into results? And it's all broken down for you that way. But the only that's not that unique. Everybody wants that. The problem is that if you don't have a, a back an, ER, an ERP backplane, you can't get that kind of data out of your organization. And uh, so that's the heart of what we're doing. So let me just, I am curious, once you discovered the tax mistake, all right, and that just, it, you don't have to give me an obvious and exact number, but I'm just curious what that mistake cost you if you could have eliminated it in a 24 hour time period, instead of how, I don't know if you told us how long you actually were paying the tax on it. Yeah. I'd be embarrassed to tell you that. <laughs> so, <laughs> the numbers staggering. Yeah, it's quite a lot, but we, there's a two year statute, I believe that we, so there's, we were within the amount of time that we could, we could go and, and claim a, what do you call it? When you restate, basically restate your tax filings revised, amended, we could amend our tax filings. And so fortunately that's still, we haven't got the money back yet, but we're working on that. But, but yeah, it's certainly an issue. The key thing though, John, is that it, without you figuring this out, you wouldn't be having this conversation with me about getting that money back. You would, and anybody that's listening could be in this very same exact situation because 
look, a lot of people that I deal with, a lot of people that I know use Service Titan. They use a lot, several different platforms, but a lot of people use Service Titan. Yeah. And so it's anyhow. So we won't. Well, just, just to be fair, that's not there. That's our problem. That's not that really can't be attributed to Service Titan, other than the fact that by not having everything right. tight, tightly enough, that's the only tie. They're certainly not responsible. Well, yeah, for sure. I just need, yeah, exactly. I'm glad you clarified. But, but I should be able to look at my margin drift, analyze that margin better. And because the purchasing, inventory, invoicing, it's all, it's not really tightly integrated. And so that's where you have things like that can get by you, even if you're a decent business operator. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the next thing I want you to talk about, which is to me, it's, it's sort I think it's one of the more, more exciting things for me, because I think it's one of the things that is just, it needs to be dialed in, which is the inventory. I want you to dive into that for a moment. Track right. Okay. What I want, and let's go back to the daily, the concept of shutting, of shutting the store down every single day. Inventory has been perfected by other companies for a long time. They mark things as A, B, and C type inventory representing the, the amount of times it moves inside. So A is your quick turns, your B is your medium turn, C is the stuff that sits a little bit longer. And then anything below a C is stuff you shouldn't even be carrying because it doesn't turn enough, right? Everything from inventory analysis to stocking, restocks, you know, all that stuff has been, has been done. And what we want to be able to do is when somebody says complete on an SVC one, a diagnostic call, which doesn't involve any follow-up. I want to know what our margin was on that job. And the only way I can actually know what a margin is on that job is using a standard inventory price costing mechanism that people use last in, first out, first in, first out, average cost of all different types of methodologies you can use, but you have to use one of them and properly developed designed inventory system will tell me when I pull that thing off the shelf, based on what I've chosen, what inventory costing model I've chosen to use what that costs. So if I know that my employee, my team member, the costs burdened 45 bucks an hour, and that this part, these parts that they used using a first in first out mechanism, that these parts cost me $38. And I got this amount of revenue. As soon as they hit complete on that job, I know what my margin was on that job. And then that can all flow down into my, into that thing I was talking about earlier, where I can see what the heck happened on an aggregate basis. If I just, especially with raw costs changing rapidly. If I somehow vaguely think that this igniter or elbow PVC elbow or whatever we're using cost this amount, this amount, but it's because it never got updated in my system, then I could be totally wrong. But the whole concept between these advanced inventory models are there's a purchase order that's linked to that material. And when it gets used off the truck, then it decreases what I've got on the truck. So I know exactly what my balance sheet should say for how much I should have on the truck. And then if I need to restock, I can decide whether to pull it from this warehouse or a different warehouse and what it costs and how much I've got. So all these things are advanced things that nobody's got to redevelop because they already exist. But Service Titan's having to re redevelop them because they didn't exist in Service Titan. Their inventory model, and I haven't looked at it recently because we went in a different direction, but for the longest time, they had really no advanced inventory strategy. And then finally, it's still dis disjointed from the, from the finance piece. So your balance sheet, even if service type knows how many three quarter PVC 90, 90 degree elbows you got in your, on all your stock across all your stuff, it ain't going to be reflected in, in your finances. So you're still having to try to back into a balance sheet somehow on a daily basis. Do I know how many, how much my inventory is worth? Do I know how much is in is, has been ordered, but hasn't arrived yet? 
all these things are possible with a backplane that can support that level of complexity. So yeah, that uh, great answer. And I think this is just, I think it's super needed. I want, one of the things I think is pretty interesting is I want you to talk about we're shifting between summer and fall right now. Right. And yep. you and I have talked about this several times about there's usually inventory that gets caught between seasons. Right. Yep. How have you figured out, have you figured out a way to eliminate that to a degree or lessen it? I think I've certainly come up with a way to maximize the use of capital as far as that goes. So we build four, we can build as many as we want to. We build four for summer, winter, fall, and spring. And the spring and the fall are transitional templates. And then those are also, and then they, they're sub templates for each type of vehicle, whether it's a pickup truck or it's a van or whatever. And so what essentially happens is we've already predetermined that we need more furnace parts in, in winter than we need summer parts. Uh, summer parts might be capacitors, contactors, drain parts, all that sort of stuff. Your winter parts are going to be more your furnace parts, your reversing valves and things like that. So essentially what we do is we say, all right, this is our summer template. This is our winter template. Somehow we got to move from our summer template to our winter template, which means reducing certain things and stocking other things back up. So the transitional templates allow you to have a, some inventory numbers in the middle. So if I want to carry a thousand dollars worth of capacitors on my trucks in the summer, but I only want to carry $250 of them in the, in the winter. The reason why that fall templates in, is important is because you're going to reduce your numbers. You might carry five of everything or three of everything in the summer. And I only want to carry one of everything in the winter, in the winter. If I bring that fall template in sometime in mid to late August, then it's going to allow me to burn, to use my summer inventory down to that intermediate immediate level. And then when I transition to the winter template sometime in late September, then I can I'll get those numbers down even further. So what you're doing is you're bringing in winter inventory. Maybe the fall template doesn't really bring in any winter inventory because we're not really going to be using it, but it starts to sell down the, uh, the summer inventory. And then once I've sold down the summer inventory, I reduce it even further at the same time as I bring in that winter inventory. And it's as simple as just once you've built the templates and I hit a button that says, uh, we're gonna, let's start thinking about moving to and everybody in the business, especially in North Carolina, knows that you're running strong July, first week of August, second week of August, like, yeah, it's going great. And then it's like the phone just stops ringing like third week of August because everything that has broken is going to break is broken. And uh, it's still, it may still be 90 degrees, but they just, uh, the wheel come off of the demand at that point. And that's when you start making that, that transition that helps again, helps you to sell down that, that inventory and you, a large scale operation, you might be saving yourself. Parts that literally just gather dust on the shelf, you might save, I don't know, forty, fifty thousand dollars worth of capital that, that you don't need to have. It can go into growth or something else. Or I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that makes complete sense. I think, and I just think it is fascinating because I don't know anybody else has come up with anything like this, that you're able mm -hmm. to it's able to essentially automate the inventory or the seasons. I think it it's just it's really cool. One other thing that I think is also great that we have not talked about. Actually, give me a second because I just lost what I was thinking. There was one more thing that I really wanted you to talk about, and I didn't. Was it related, was it related to recalls? Was that one of the things? Yes. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, so one of my frustrations, and again, I, I want to be very clear that so people don't be like, oh, you're just using Service Titan wrong. Okay. That's fine. I'll be more than happy to be, we're not going to go back to it, but I'll be more than happy to admit that we're not using it right because I'm sure there's people that are doing it better than us, but 
one of the problems that that I've got with Service Titan is there's the way the recall process works is there's an there's an assumption that it's clear enough that customer care can can make a connection at the time the call is made. So call comes in, service item model is that that somebody says, I, you guys were just out here and I'm having another problem. Okay, that by, by software, that's easy enough. I find that prior call, I say recall, and then I generate a new job that's based on that other job and, it, and it's, it's tagged as a recall. But I've got a real problem with that because I think psychologically we're setting ourselves up to give away money that we, money and also goodwill or reputation that we don't necessarily have to give away. So our approach to it is that everything is a diagnostic. The only, but you're going to market as a diagnostic and a possible recall that makes the customer feel better. So the exact same scenario is Joe calls up, Hey, you guys screwed up. Yeah, you gotta come back out here right away. I want somebody this afternoon immediately. You guys were just here and we're like, well, just here two months ago. Yeah, but you were just here. Okay, Joe, we got you, buddy. We'll be there. We'll take a look at it. He's like, I don't expect to pay anything for this. Okay, here's how we do this. We're going to mark this as a possible recall, but the first thing we do always is we diagnose the issue. We diagnose it because if we just go back on the assumption that we've made a mistake, then we're looking narrowly at the last thing we fixed and what if there's a bigger problem and now you have another recall and you still want to blame that on us. So Joe, what we're going to do, we're going to mark this as a possible recall. The technician knows that if there's anything that we did wrong, that, that, there, that you won't be charged for that within our warranty policy, but all he's going to do when he gets there, he's going to say, Joe, I'm here to diagnose the issue. And that's all you're going to talk about in the beginning. With. So now our technician is not, when they get dispatched and it says recall in their mind, this is a $0 call and they're not even prepared to defend the company or our prior work when they get there, because they've already been told it's a recall. And then there's also a lot of complexity that happens where, which, okay, it's a recall. Was it the service guy that was there? two weeks after it was installed and now it's a recall on the service guy, or is it a recall on the install or is it something, is it a drain line or something that is draining into the side of their house into their wall that we never even touched as part of the re we reconnected their drain line, but we, we didn't, we never repiped it or anything like that. So anyway, so that's my point is that there's a much more complicated thing that has to happen with regards to recalls and we we are building a process and i say we're building because we haven't completed this part of it but we're building a process where we create a recall group and then we can evaluate to what percentage each person who was involved contributed to the overall cost of the recall so you have a recall group that says okay there was an issue here and we went back four times was bill responsible for 20 percent because he should have called it originally was jeff responsible for another 20 percent because he didn't pick it pick this up on the second time he was there so what and then now because we're getting this in real time we know what their drive time was we know what their on-site time was we know what the parts used were we can figure out the total real cost of what that recall was but then we can also in this recall group we can assign a goodwill expense to it as well. We can say, this customer has now decided that they will, they had four systems, three of them were going to go bad in the next two years. And they've decided they will never work with, with our company again, because of this debacle with this recall. So now we can assign a goodwill impairment to that recall group and say, okay, this is what, this is our direct cost. This is our goodwill impairment. And this is what this overall recall cost us. And so now when you're looking at your, your looking at your financials at the end of the year and you're like, Hey, we didn't, we made 10% net. We're the greatest thing in the world. Hey, John, did you notice that, that our total 
cost of recalls, including impairments, was $763,000. Wouldn't you like to have half of that back? And we all deal with recalls. I'm not saying that I can take $763,000 and reduce it to zero, but certainly to what comes out of that recall group is coaching because you can say, okay, Joe, Bill was responsible for 20% of this. And what were the skills that he missed? I can say it was low voltage. It was refrigeration. It was just sloppy work. What were the things? And now I can look at a scorecard for, for Bill at the end of the year, the quarter or whatever, and say, wow, Bill, you're doing great on, on sales. You're doing this, you're doing that, but hey, my God, we got to get you some help in low voltage wiring because you're a train wreck, buddy. You're costing us $50,000 just because you don't know the difference between a, a primary winding and a secondary wiring winding. And I'll be honest, I, I'm thinking about taking your multimeter because you don't even know how to use it. And so if, but you don't know, unless you aggregate data, you don't know how to make it actionable. I see too much that people are like, oh, Bill screwed this up. We got we to gotta get rid of him or whatever, because it was some lightning strike of a problem that Bill created. But if you look at his record, isn't aren't there three other guys that are consistently losing you more money than Bill is, even though this one was a big, a big to do. And that's where data, that's what I, you have to data. You've got to be able to, to make decisions. You want to be able to quickly get to insights. Data is not important. Insights are important. And if you're properly managing data and properly reporting on data, then you can get insights. And when you get insights, you can make better decisions and you can run a better, more profitable business. One thing I will be curious to find out, I don't know if it's been enough time yet for you to have the data. And I don't know when you changed your the language pattern from ta saying it's a recall to it's a diagnostic. But I'd be interested to know what the how that changed your closing rate or metrics you measure by for those recalls or no. yeah i guess you could measure it by the amount of money they collect because if normally it's a recall it's going to be free so have you yeah. seen have you got any data on that do you know what the difference has been since you've changed that language yeah like i said this is being this part of it's being built and it hasn't been implemented yet i'm just as curious as you are to see how this how the recall we call it our rlr process roller for short um, say it one more process. time John. So it doesn't matter whether the computer yeah, cut R, out. R, L, R. okay r l r we call it roller r l r roller whatever but the r is short for recall and low revenue so r l r process because it doesn't matter to us if a tech rolls up and doesn't hit doesn't collect it's not just collecting anything it's like if the call when it's closed doesn't meet minimum gross profit standards, then they'll have to, it'll enter the RLR process. And I don't, and again, same way we don't care on the front end, whether it's actually a recall or a, di a diagnostic, we're going to treat everything as a diagnostic on the back end. We're going to treat everything as a low revenue or no revenue. I don't care which either way, we didn't make money when we were out here. If it's low revenue, it goes into the RLR process. If it's a recall, it goes into the RLR process. And then somebody has to analyze that issue and you do your first analysis and that never gets closed because we have unfortunately found that one recall it's like uh, it's like coronavirus and you get one you're gonna you're gonna infect it just seems like that's how it goes and so you create the recall group and if you're lucky it's one but then if you get a second one and then a third one all of a sudden it's a, it's a runaway train but that's the other thing that it can do for you is you can recognize that pattern it's like okay when you hit your third recall now all of a sudden this is like general manager material this is not something that just gets handled inside the companies okay we got three here we're not getting a fourth. We need to go see what see what's going on here because that's unfortunately that's what happens is there's something that's not that's hidden. And we battled some gas pack one time. It was before we realized that this was a common issue, but we, there was a low voltage short 
in a two-stage gas pack because the one of the sensor wires on the, I think the high pressure or whatever was rubbing against the, the corner of the inside of the gas pack. And it only, it was like, it was only when it would shift into defrost that it would energize that sensor and short this thing out. Or, oh, sorry, only when it went into the second stage when it would do this. And we were, we found other issues out there and we were like, all right, we got this. And we found that the, some mouse had chewed the, chewed the low voltage wire. We're like, all right, what's got to be it? Change that out. Thermostat. Every time it does this, it's, it's, so it's got to be the thermostat. So you do this stuff and you think that your low voltage is tricky anyway. And you think that you're solving problems, but turns into three or four recalls before you know it. And that's when you got to say, okay, let's stop and, you know, send in our specialist to, to deconstruct this so that we don't turn three or four into 10 and a customer that is calling the better business bureau. And that's so, really what, and that's what you guys to look forward to a bad review. If you go out there more than three times, you're probably not going to get a great experience from that customer. And they're probably not going to continue being a customer. Not a chance. You might be pulling out that equipment, like over, over a wire that's rubbing on the cage. It takes a zip tie and a piece of electrical tape and uh, that customer's never going to call you again, but you got to be able to, you got to have a process to manage it. And then you got to be able to interpret the data because things are happening. You can't be reactive and scale a business. You got to be, you got to be system systematic. And that's where we're trying to go. It's difficult. We thought I was going to wave a wand at this thing and oh, I'm successful in this business, this HVAC thing, it's got to be easy. I'll figure this out in a couple months and I'll spend the rest of my life on the beach in Turks and Caicos. But it's been a humbling process. There's so many moving pieces that you've got to have a system to manage them. And we've made mistakes and learned a lot from them, but we're pretty confident that this path that we're on now is the right path. And we're seeing, seeing good results so far. So I know that you probably know, I was going to ask you this, but is this something that we talked about this? This is, this is not something that you're, this is not something that you're pitching by any stretch. No. This is what you're using for your company, but but is this something that you could implement into a larger, say, $150, million, $200 million company? Is that something possibly you could do once you get it completely done? Yeah, I think the thing about it is that there's got to be a commitment to, to operations. It's not something, it's because of the nature of it, it's complex. And so you'd have to be a certain size organization to benefit from it. Because when you start shaving pennies, it takes a lot of effort sometimes to get to where you can shave pennies. But at a large enough scale, those pennies add up to a lot of money. And so it doesn't, I don't think it works for, for smaller companies. It's just too complicated. And, and I don't mean complicated, like you got to be a, an MIT, a PhD, you know, postdoc to run the thing. It's just that you've got to be committed to certain operational because software and operations fit together. And uh, we've certainly fought battles with our service technicians who are like, well, this is too complicated. I don't want to do all this. I hear you, but this is the right way to do things so that we can have operational excellence. And if you're not interested in operational excellence, then I'll invite you to go to all of the mediocre companies that are out there. So you got to have a certain operational approach and respect and ability within your team to, to be able to do something like this. But yeah, I haven't, you had, I have chatted briefly on it. I never set out to sell this because I want to build a world-class HVAC company and there's a difference between running software and building it for somebody else you, know, you get into implementation teams and sales teams and all this other kind of stuff so i think where you and i landed was i'm happy to discuss this with anybody who is interested in like, geeking out about software and technology and operational excellence and we would consider my technology company has expertise in this and then we would consider working with with anybody who who sees the 
opportunity in something like this and sees the deficiencies and other approaches, but we're certainly not actively looking to sell it because we're focused on operationalizing it for ourselves. For sure. Dude, this has been such a great conversation and people are going to have to go back and listen to this probably because you've talked about so many different things that are super important. And quite frankly, nobody's heard a lot of these things because it's the first time I think you've talked about it publicly. I just made it all up. So (laughs) (laughs) how I do? Was it good? I think you did pretty good. Yeah, I think you did pretty good. You sounded smart. (laughs) Uh, Exactly. No, oh, no, it's been fun. You get in the trenches of working on this stuff and it's sometimes nice to talk about it because you get so deep into solving these problems and figuring them out. It's nice to, to just step back and have this conversation with you and talk about the potential and how exciting it is because it is, it is exciting, but it takes a lot of work to solve these problems in a way that, that, that is scalable and, and, um, and builds value, enduring value in an operation that's got that, uh, that process-driven approach to it. Yeah, somebody that people that are listening to this, that they hear this and they're like, man, that sounds like something I'd like to do. That person's probably going to already be in, they're going to be that 150 to 200. Because look, at the end of the day, like you said, this is not something for a smaller company because it's just too, probably too, a little bit too technical, a little bit too sophisticated, probably take a lot of work for not a lot of gain potentially. Yeah, so I think it's a, certainly a pathway to being, if you're on your, if you're on a pathway to being that, that, 50, 75, $100 million company, then you've probably already got the same frustrations and ideas. If you don't recognize that there's deficiencies in what you may be doing now, then I don't think it's a fit. If you recognize a deficiency and you're frustrated, and now the issue there is that there's a reasonably, there's an investment that has to happen. We've spent millions in, in, in our approach to it. And that's because I didn't pull that out of my HVAC company, I pulled that out of our 20 years technology company. And I think that there's an investment that has to happen to make it, to operationalize it. And so that nexus of size and, and where you want to take your company and all those different things have to come together in a way that's okay. Yeah. That we can make this investment. We can make it in people. We can make it in technology and we have the management manpower, man or woman power to implement this thing and make it successful. So all those things have to come together because you don't just implement a piece of software. You have to implement a business operation that runs on software. So if you don't fit those qualifications, there's no reason for you to reach out pretty much. You just explained exactly the person that could use this. No, I enjoy, I, I enjoy talking to anybody who's in the industry and just, we can, like I said, I, I'm happy to talk to anybody. I don't want to make sure. sense, but, 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 sure. but we're, we're definitely not our goal. We haven't sold it to anybody. We haven't, that's not our goal. Our goal is to build it for ourselves. But like you said, we'd be, It'd be smart to, to have some conversations if other people are facing similar challenges and, ha- and are interested in having those conversations. So, yeah. I think it's going to, I think for sure. John, this has been killer, dude. I can't, I can't thank you enough. If you would tell everybody where they can find you, tell them the comfort monster, wherever they, wherever you want them to find you. Yeah. That'd be great. yeah. If you want to have some fun, just go, if you go to comfortmonster.com and then uh, there's a, on one of the menus, it says meat comes a pretty funny page. It has his, bio and what he likes and some FAQs about him. It's just funny, but check that out. And but if you want to get in touch with me, I'm easy to find john.jordan at comfortmonster.com or john.jordan at atlanticbt.com. That's short for Atlantic Business Technologies. And if somebody's listening to this that wants to get in front in touch with Comfort Monster, what's the phone number there? 919 Monster. Boom. Yep. That's right. You already said that. So <laughs> appreciate you, John. This has been great. Thank you, man. All right. Thanks, Corey. You got it.
If you took anything away from this podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and go check out some other episodes on SuccessfulLifePodcast.com. This is the Successful Life. Thank you for tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.